Hello. Hello. Hello, folks. I'm so happy to be with you, and I am pretty excited about this podcast today. We've got a couple guests, one that I'm going to just share with you, his thoughts concerning Thanksgiving as we're staring down the barrel of Thanksgiving, and another one I'm going to let him say it for himself. I think you'll like the thoughts of both of these men. This is the On Being Christian podcast. My name is Nolan Ruby, and I'll be your host. I am also the pastor of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City, Utah, and the On Being Christian podcast is a ministry of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church, and we're so happy to be with you. As I get into this, Thanksgiving is one of, if not the most favorite holiday in the year. I know that I'm not going to be alone on that. Thanksgiving and Christmas are are just times where historically we get to be with family, we get to spend a lot of time with family, and I very much enjoy that. I've got a couple thoughts for you today. I I hope that this year your Thanksgiving is very um, filled with family, with people that you care about, friends, church family, that you get to spend a lot of time just kind of stepping back from how busy it gets. I was sharing with the folks here at Wasatch Front Baptist Church this week. I read an article this week concerning uh, information and how we process it. And um, there's basically two ways in which you can process information. One is to process it uh, directly, process information directly. And the other way in which we process information is peripherally. And in the day and age where we live, we have access to more information than humans have ever had access to, and it has reduced our level of interaction with that information to a very peripheral interaction. In other words, we are constantly looking for ways to determine whether or not processing this information is going to be helpful to us, and that's called peripheral processing where instead of dealing with the information directly for its content and value, we look at the peripheral aspects of that information. In other words, is the person who's delivering this an expert? Um, Is this person or my interaction with this person going to elevate my status? Or is this person and the information they're offering uh, a statistical societal advancement for me, or is it not? And if those three things don't advance me or my cause or my idea, a lot of times, unfortunately, we will dismiss the information as irrelevant. And so you can understand how, if that's true, and it is, um, all that secular society really needs to do to c- keep people very confused, especially in this season, is to attach um, social meaning to things that aren't actually that helpful. And then things that are helpful attach less social, uh, meaning to those things or less prominence to those things. And because we're processing everything peripherally, we'll do away with the things that are actually going to be very beneficial to us. And we'll accept the things that aren't going to be very beneficial to us at all. Anyway, that's kind of where we are as a society. We used to not be there. We used to understand that there were aspects of information from God's word, from the experience of men who had gave their lives for a cause, 
that meant something, and we we processed that directly. And so the two men that I'm going to share with you today, plus a couple of Bible verses, I would ask you to process what they have to say directly, um, because that's going to be the most beneficial to you concerning the information that they're going to share with us. And so we're talking about Thanksgiving, and like I said, I love Thanksgiving. I love the time of Thanksgiving. I love spending time with my family. I love spending time with the church family here in Salt Lake City, and um, and I'm looking forward very much to it this week. I'm going to try to um, author a write-up for this particular podcast episode, episode number 42, that would cause you to listen to it during the season, and that we wouldn't just put it in a linear line and come back to it um, when we can. So without further ado, if you have your Bible or if you'd like to know where I'm going, I'm going to start in Psalm 26. It's a short Psalm. It's 12 verses, 12 verses, Psalm 26. And it's one of the times the word Thanksgiving is found within the Bible. If I start in verse one, the Bible says, judge me, O Lord, For I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord. Therefore, I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. Now, before we go on to verse 2, folks, that is an incredibly bold prayer. An incredibly bold prayer. To go to the Lord and to tell the Lord to judge you, and examine you, and prove you, and try you, that's um, that's a lot of confidence in David. This is a psalm of David. When he expresses this desire before the Lord, he says, don't let me be in my natural state before you. He says, judge me, and examine me, and prove me, and try me. And he's more interested in the fact that the Lord would let him go through these things that draw him closer to the Lord, even though it may be the very same things that create distance between his own self and his opinions and thoughts and aspirations about his own life or his own direction of his life. Verse 3 says, For thy loving kindness is before mine eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. And that's an incredibly objective statement concerning truth. He doesn't say that I have walked in my truth, which is where we are today as a society. He says, I have walked in thy truth. And by the way, within the Christian life, that's where confidence comes from, knowing that it's not your truth that you're living for, but the truth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, which is driving your decisions and governing your priorities. That's the truth that means something. Verse 4, I have not set with vain persons, neither will I go in with dissemblers. Disassemblers, I have hated the congregation of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. I will wash mine hands in innocency, so will I compass thine altar, O Lord. And here's the verse I want to focus on. It says that I, verse 7, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men, in whose hands is mischief and in their right hand is full of bribes, 
But as for me, I will walk in mine integrity, redeem me, and be merciful unto me. My foot standeth in an evil place in the congregation. Excuse me, my foot standeth in an, ev an even place. In the congregation will I bless the Lord. And so he's talking about the Lord trying him and judging him and proving him and examining him. And he's saying, whatever, Lord, you find, I will live there. I will live in that even place. And then he references, there's kind of a transition between the, the, the first half of this chapter and the second half of this chapter. And it happens in verse 7 where he says, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. Folks, I want you to understand one of the most effective, if not the most effective way to be a witness for the cause of Christ is to live in a place of continual gratitude for what the Lord has done for you. We live in a society that creates almost a continual, never-ending, unsatisfiable desire for more, and we have forgotten how much God has already done for us, how much God has already given to us. And so this idea of thanksgiving as we go into a day of thanks, is one in which, if the Christian would allow it to be so, would allow him to live, allow him or her to live a much more Christ-centered life. Being thankful is one of the most, if not the most effective way to be a witness to others for the cause of Christ. He says in verse 7, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving. In other words, He's not going around publicizing things apart from just being someone who's incredibly thankful for everything the Lord has given him. And that thankfulness is attractive to people. I don't know if you understood that. Being a thankful person, being a person who chooses to live in a mindset of gratitude is a very attractive thing to other people. And that's exactly what we are commanded to do in the Bible, is to reach others for the cause of Christ. And in order to do that, Paul said, I must be all things to all men. I must be attractive to people, not because of any other thing apart from the fact that the Lord loves me, and because of that love for me, I can love him, and I can love others with the love that he has for them, and I can do it with confidence and thanksgiving concerning everything that he's already given me. And so that's, we're by no means looking at all the times the word thank you or thankfulness or thanksgiving is looked at in the Bible, but just as a foundation to kind of lay, before we get too far into what we're talking about, this idea of thanksgiving is the key to living a life that reaches others for the cause of Christ or just being happy. So many times today, we surround ourselves with every aspect of connection to every single thing that we ever may ever need or want, not realizing that we are so comfortable and so weighted down with excess that we actually can't live life. We're letting life live us. We're, we're more concerned about the possessions of this life than the experiences of this life. And when that takes place on a long enough timeline, we replace people and the importance of people in our life with the perceived 
and uh, importance of status and connection. And that's where America definitely is today. We'd rather have our world perfectly. We'd rather have it just, you know, Pinterest perfect than we would a little bit messy, but the relationships are real. And that's a sad thing. If I jump over to Psalm 100, I'll read this entire psalm as well. The word thanksgiving is found in here. It's only five verses. The Bible says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his sheep, uh, excuse me, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into the gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. Now, if you are anything like me, I grew up in a Christian school, and back in day school, when I was very, very young, this is one of the psalms that when we were five, six, seven years old, we would memorize. And so when I read Psalm 100, I can see uh, a lady by the name of Mrs. Jones. Mrs. Jones was her name. I still think about her often. Her uh, husband was David, and they had three daughters, some of my best friends when I was growing up. And Mrs. Jones, I can see her making all the little, you know, actions and expressions and, and, and you know, hand language when she was trying to get me as just a little guy to memorize this psalm. And so it's with joy that I read it. I want to draw your attention to verse 4. It says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. And into his courts with praise, be thankful unto him, and bless his name. This is entirely what being a Christian is all about. Entering into his gates, his, his work, his calling in your life with thanksgiving, and being thankful. The Bible says, in everything give thanks. Most of the time, we understand the value of what we would define as blessings, being thankworthy. But in many instances, the Bible says the things that are most valuable to us are not necessarily the things that we in our human logic would define as blessings. And it is in those things where we are commanded by the doctrine of the Word of God to be more thankful, to be more appreciative of the things the Lord allows us to, to do and to experience that grow us and strengthen us. And by the way, no one has ever grown or been strengthened by being comfortable. It takes conflict to sharpen someone. It takes resistance to build strength. In my entire time with the United States Marine Corps, in my past experience, in other words, when I get back with the guys that I served with, None of us get together and talk about the times when we were incredibly comfortable. None of us remember with fond memories the times when we were warm and dry and uh, eating chicken wings and watching football. You know, that was some of the things that we enjoyed the most, but that's not the times that we remember. The times that we remember with fondness and humor are the times in which we, in the middle of it, did not so much define it as something that was good for us. When we were 
in the middle of the teardrop swamp of North Carolina, up to our thighs in mud, being gassed by the instructors with CS gas, and then gators started to walk out of the swamp. That was not something that in the moment we thought, this is going to be good for me. But boy, I tell you what, that is some of the most precious memories I have with guys that I served with because it built a strength in us, a resolve in us, that the job was more important than we were personally and that the team was more invalu- uh, more valuable than our own identity. And that's just secularly speaking concerning things in the service. The Christian life is the same way. The Christian life's the same way. Sometimes we endeavor more than we endeavor any other way. We endeavor to be comfortable. We endeavor to be um, at peace and happy. And we seek things that logically would say would provide those attributes. But in reality, the Lord says through his word that he will allow us to go through challenges and trials. And it is in those challenges and trials that we will grow with his grace and become more useful Christians. And the Bible says to, that this is thankworthy, that this is um, something that we should live in gratitude for. Gratitude. And so that's what Thanksgiving is all about for me, not just being thankful for the wonderful things, and I am. I have an absolutely wonderful wife. She's my best friend. My children are my heroes. Quite frankly, I have absolutely just more pleasure and more joy in the time that I get to spend with them doing anything that we get to do together. And I expect the Lord's hand on their life to draw them to places and to to accomplish things that I never could. I'm very thankful for the folks here at Wasatch Front Baptist Church and the opportunity the Lord has given us to serve Him and to be together in service here in Salt Lake City. I'm thankful for the men and the mentors in my life that have brought me to where I am today. Sometimes not with my accomplishment or not with my... um, not with my allowance. It was against my will. I'm thankful for men who were stronger than me. And so there's all those things that you can be thankful for. The Bible says thankfulness is the way to be a Christian. You enter his courts with praise, thankfulness, and thanksgiving. These are the things. And by the way, folks, if the Lord, I told people here, I tell people this at Wasatch Front Baptist Church all the time, if the Lord never did anything else for you, what else would you want? If all he did was die on the cross and shed his precious blood so that we could have a relationship with God the Father in heaven, what more would we want him to do? And yet he does more. He gives more. He allows for more. But if we could focus and be thankful and be grateful for everything that he's already done. And if he never did anything else, it's already been more than I could ever deserve. And we go into this holiday season with that spirit of thankfulness. I'm wondering that maybe we might have a different experience, one that strengthens our walk with the Lord and not weakens it. Now, I'd like to share with you a Thanksgiving Day proclamation. This is the text of Lincoln's 1863 Thanksgiving Proclamation. And this is the first man that I told you we were going to speak with 
And when I say speak with, we're actually going to let him speak to us. Abraham Lincoln, a fellow that was raised literally on nothing to become, through nothing more than perseverance, the President of the United States who held the Union together through one of the not, if the not, most trying times in America's history. He wrote a proclamation concerning the importance of Thanksgiving. October 3rd, 1863, by the President of the United States, a proclamation. The year is drawing toward its close and has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come, others have been added, which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften the heart, which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God." In the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity, which has sometimes seemed to foreign states to invite and provoke their aggressions, peace has been preserved with all nations, order has been maintained, the laws have been respected and obeyed, and harmony has prevailed everywhere except in the theater of military conflict." while that theater has been greatly contracted by the advancing armies and navies of the Union. Needful diversions of wealth and of strength from the fields of peaceful industry to the national defense have not arrested the plow, the shuttle, or the ship. The axe has enlarged the borders of our settlements, and the mines, as well of iron and coal, as of the precious metals, have yielded even more abundantly than heretofore. Population has steadily increased, notwithstanding the waste that has been made in the camp, the siege, and the battlefield, and the country, rejoicing in the consciousness of augmented strength and vigor is permitted to accept continuance of years with large increase of freedom. No human counsel has devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out this great thing. They are the gifts, the gracious gifts, of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November day as, excuse me, of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. And I recommend to them that while offering up the aspirations justly due him for such singular deliverance and blessings, they do also with humble penance for our national preservance and disobedience commend 
to his tender care all those who have been uh, become widows, orphans, uh, mourners, or sufferers in this lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged and fervently implore the interposition of the Almighty Hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as may be consistent with the divine purpose to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. In testimony whereof I have hereto set my hand and caused the seal of the United States to be affixed Done at the city of Washington this third day of October in the year of our Lord, 1,863, and of the independence of the United States, the 88th, President Abraham Lincoln. Now, folks, if President Abraham Lincoln, during the Civil War, can find something to be reverent to his Heavenly Father for, to thank God for, to express gratitude for, do you think that maybe you and I, in perhaps one of the most wealthy times in human history, find something to take to the throne of God and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my children. Thank you for my spouse. Thank you for my church, my parents, my grandparents. Thank you for my job. Thank you for my experiences. Thank you for my health, my safety. Thank you for this country. Thank you for this country. This country is paying a heavily, heavy price of people who don't understand her value because of the neglect that we have offered her. The second person I would like to share with you and, um, and actually let him say it himself is none other than a man named Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey is one of those guys that I grew up with. I, Not that I grew up with him, <laughs> but I grew up listening to his voice. When we would drive to school every morning, they would play his rest of the story um, dialogue every morning around 7.40, 7.45, which was when we were driving to school. And so we would listen to Paul Harvey's rest of the story every morning, and his voice and the way in which he presents the things that he has always believed in and cared for deeply uh, resonates with me and attaches me to a much simpler time in my own life. And so this story that I'd like to share with you is his thoughts on Thanksgiving, specifically the Dutch origins of Thanksgiving, and I'll let him tell it himself, and then we'll come back and ask ourselves what we've learned. Bear with me just one second as I get this cued in. This is Paul Harvey and the rest of the story entitled Thanksgiving, Dutch Origins. Now, the rest of the story. In the medieval Dutch town of Leiden in the early 17th century, the immigrants were getting restless. There was a significant immigrant population, even back there, even back then. You see, the people of Leiden had a motto in those days, a slogan not unlike our own. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe the free, and so on. Their saying was, quote, Leiden refuses no honest people free entry, period. 
It was not quite as catchy as the generous entreaty inscribed on the pedestal of Lady Liberty, but it was effective, so effective that within months of its first utterance, 30% of the town of Leiden was foreign-born and foreign-speaking. But eventually, as I say, those immigrants grew restless. And the issue was tolerance, for the immigrants had come to Leiden in the first place, fleeing intolerance elsewhere in the world. In other words... These were the unwanted, the unappreciated, even the persecuted from other shores, seeking a society which would welcome them as they were, instead of insisting on conformity to local custom. But after only a little more than a decade in warm, welcoming, tolerant Leiden, the tolerated immigrants lost their own tolerance for their new home. Our children are becoming too assimilated, too Dutch, the ungrateful immigrants began complaining. Or, we aren't getting enough jobs, they complained. And predictably, when the Dutch natives of Leiden began hearing that sort of thing, they began rethinking their original policy of open doors and open arms. No, the Dutch refused to deport their malcontents, but their individual unofficial attitudes became less hospitable. And you can see where this is going. Many of the immigrants who only a half-generation before had flocked to Leiden so gladly and so gratefully packed up and moved out to the New World. So, after the so-called pilgrims wore out their welcome in Leiden, Holland in 1620... A handful of them got into a shaky little boat, sailed across the sea to Plymouth Rock. But there was a stowaway aboard the Mayflower, and that unseen passenger was the culture of Leiden itself. For despite their relentless struggle for originality, the pilgrims brought with them to their new home in North America a collage of customs which Americans recognize and revere to this day. The civil registration of marriages, for example, which initiated the then unique concept of separation of church and state. Almost two centuries later, John Quincy Adams would cite the Mayflower Compact as the foundation for the United States Constitution. But did he know that the United Colonies, which the Pilgrims established in New England in 1643, the consolidation of semi-independent jurisdictions into one nation, that was based on a form of federal government that they had first observed in the Netherlands, the United Provinces. And one thing more, back in Leiden there was a particular celebration. It was a day commemorating the end of the Spanish siege against the city in 1574. It was sort of like our Fourth of July. But the focus of those Dutch festivities, instead of fireworks, was gratitude. Thanksgiving Day, it was called. Yes, I do mean to say that when you're giving thanks today, save some for the people of 17th century Leiden, whose own immigrants emigrated to our distant rocky shore, where eventually, however arduously, freedom was born. Now you know the rest. Thanks for watching. I absolutely enjoy Paul Harvey. I want you to understand from that perspective. The entire existence of Thanksgiving was because of people who lost tolerance for each other. And the pilgrims moved to our rocky shores, in the words of Paul Harvey, to express gratitude for the freedom in which they had to worship their God and to be kind to each other. America has taken a turn. We have people protesting in the streets about how America was never great and about how America is founded on principles that were degradant to certain groups of people. And we have forgotten that this country is exactly the opposite of that. 
The United States of America is the only country that found our own past to be so unacceptable that we fought a war to change the direction of our future. This country, at one point in its history, knew how to be thankful for each other and that the lowest common denominator factors of ourself were not the things that defined the individual, but were merely just peripheral aspects of who we were. The American people used to understand that thankfulness and gratitude were the things that made toleration so workable. That's not where we are anymore. Instead of entering his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, we have divided ourselves and split ourselves in two. We've reduced ourselves as individuals from someone who has his own or her own individual thoughts to nothing more than a representative of a collective, a two-party system. We're either right or we're left. We're black or we're white. We're a majority or a minority. And that is the absolute hierarchy of foolishness. But we've given ourselves to it for so long now that the recovery from it, I fear, will take something drastic, if we can recover at all. If we do, it will start and can start now with nothing more and nothing less, something as simple as choosing to be thankful for the people around you, thankful for the differences, thankful for the, the opposing views, to be grateful for the people God has given you to be a part of their life with, to join in this life with, to be happy, to be, to be um, approachable by people who have different aspects of understanding. One of the things that you heard right there by Paul Harvey was that tolerance, which is how it all started, led to intolerance. How did it go from tolerance to intolerance? Well, the simple answer is thankfulness was lost. Gratitude was lost. America used to be the place that accepted the tired. The huddled masses yearning to be free. We accepted them because we valued assimilation. We knew that the American, or the very term American, was a term that meant that we are all immigrants. One of the things that I love about America is that nothing makes the immigrant American more or less American than me. You'll never find an American more proud of his heritage than me, but I am no greater or no less in value than the person who's from an entirely different country, an entirely different way of life, an entirely different culture, who swears an oath to this country that they will uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. And they become an American, not an American as an afterthought to a prefix, but simply an American with no regard given to the color of their skin or the heritage of their past. That's where we came from. And that's where we could go to again if we learned how to be thankful for people. And if people learned how to be thankful 
for the best and most free country that has ever existed. I have never seen stupidity at the level in which we are occupying it today, where we use the freedom and the privilege of America to tear down the freedom and privilege of America. The snake is eating its own tail, and we're all so comfortable we're doing nothing about it. God help us. God help us. Paul Harvey said it best. Paul Harvey said, and in a time of American division, like none other, the United States Civil War, the president of the United States of America found reasons to be thankful and grateful for all Americans. As we transition from thankfulness in a time of thanksgiving, we're going to be looking at Christmas. And Christmas is a time that has been given over to opulence and acquiring of goods. And I'd like to share you one other story from none other than Mr. Paul Harvey about a name, uh, a fella named Jimmy Robinson. You may have not heard this before, but it expresses the simplistic nature of thankfulness during a time of Christmas. He starts off by saying, hello, Americans. I'm Paul Harvey. You know what the news is, and in a minute, you're going to get the rest of the story. That was his opening dialogue, and then he says this. Jimmy Robinson looked forward to Christmas time each year for a thousand reasons, but for one in particular, the lighting of the old Christmas tree bulb. For all of his parents' holiday decorations, the most special was a strand of Christmas lights with a score of replacement bulbs in it and one original bulb, one clear white Christmas light that had come with the original set and which had continued to burn brightly season after season after season. Oh, there was no mistaking that one bulb. It was the very last one on the string. It was slightly different from the newer ones, not only in outward appearance, but in, in a magical, indefinable something in its glow. So for Jimmy Robinson, Christmas time carried with it a unique anticipation. He and his dad would bring home their Christmas tree, and they'd get out the ornaments and the lights. Then before any other decoration was removed from the big, dusty cardboard box, that one old strand of tree lights would be taken from it. And as Jimmy held his breath, wishing hard, Dad would ceremoniously plug it in. And each and every season, that last light on the string, the only original bulb left, would light up and shine as brightly as it ever had before. All of the other bulbs in the set had been replaced. Many of the replacements had themselves been replaced, but that very last light continued to glow for the Robinson family each Christmas like a dear and ageless relative just dropping in for the holidays. Christmases came and passed, and over the season subsequent, Jimmy grew up, left hometown Baldwin, Missouri, where he was from, to see what lay beyond. He became a colonel. Colonel James Robinson, a chaplain in the United States Army, stationed here and abroad 
Yet each and every Christmas time, wherever his past would would take him, wherever his post would allow him to be, Colonel Robinson received a telephone call from back home in Baldwin from his dad, Walter Robinson. And the news was always the same, told in the same delighted, excited voice. It lighted up again, son. That same old Christmas light is still burning bright. Medical science is only now beginning to comprehend the power of mind over malady, confirming that the way a patient thinks can steer the course of any disease, multiple sclerosis in particular, multiple sclerosis in, uh, is, is one of the things that they've practiced and participated mind over matter things on. In fact, there's such a demonstrable cause and effect between one's mental attitude and MS that doctors are sometimes reluctant to diagnose it for fear of worsening the disease with the news. Conversely, perhaps no other illness responds so quickly or so dramatically to hope. You see, Jim Robinson's dad, Walter, for decades, had MS. He had multiple sclerosis. In its course, there were ups and downs. And yet there was no up ever any higher than the exhilaration from the annual ritual in which a solitary Christmas tree lit, defied the dark, one brave little light, ablaze each and every Christmas since the strand was first purchased by Jim Robinson's grandfather in 1918. By this holiday season, both of Jim's parents are gone, but the Christmas light the Christmas light, that same original bulb on his sister's Christmas tree shines on, but in a way now it shines on for all of us. And then of course he goes on to say, and now you know the rest of the story. Folks, there are things in life that just aren't replaceable. And as a country, we are at each other's throats so drastically that there is a way that I think we are ruining our past. But yet you, through thankfulness and gratitude, can choose to be that one little light, which every year, in a world of complicated matters, just lights up. Just lights up. No matter what life brings, no matter where your children go, no matter the difficulties you're facing, through gratitude and thankfulness, through the Christian life lived with unrepentant joy, you can be that light that people attach to a simpler time when it was okay to be friends with your neighbors even though you didn't vote for the same guy. It was okay to have different opinions about different things. You could still be friends. Thankfulness. Thankfulness. I challenge you this Christmas season, this Thanksgiving season, to be thankful for the people in your life, especially the people who disagree with you. Be thankful 
for the challenges in life. Be thankful for the ups and the downs because those are the things that build a strength worth having. America is in need of men and women of strength. And that strength is not going to happen without thankfulness. Thank you so much for being with me today. This is the On Being Christian Podcast and Ministry of Wasatch Front Baptist Church. My name is Nolan Ruby, and if you have any questions, you can get a hold of me at wasatchfrontbaptistchurch.com. That's W-A-S-A-T-C-H, frontbaptistchurch.com. You can get on that website and find all of the old recordings of the On Being Christian podcast listed in the drop-down menu entitled On Being Christian. And you can also find my number directly here to the office at the church listed under the contact link. Thank you again for giving me some time. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to be done. Please spend some time with your family this holiday season, and remember to be thankful. Father, thank you for everything you've given us, that which we know and that which we don't. We leave the rest in your hands, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, I love you. I'll talk to you next time. God bless.